Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. Broadcast it live. There are balls coming from all over the place. Left field, center field, right field. See, this this is the kind of thing, quite honestly, right now, that makes you want to see the Chicago Cubs team lose. Now, are you just saying you want to have fun, or do you really want to have fun? It'll be fun. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here? You don't live in Cleveland! You talking to me? You talking to me? That is the farthest thing in the universe from the truth. Hello, everyone. Live, it's the Dan Scott Show. And right there is your host, Dan Scott. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to... This new edition of the show slash podcast, Dan Scott show and the grumpy old broadcasters podcast. I am Dan, because as I always say, nobody else wants to be very happy to have you along with us on this Monday, Martin Luther King day. For those who are listening uh, on the podcast and it's uh, recorded, maybe you're listening afterwards. We always record the show on Monday morning for air on Monday afternoon on WZLA and Abbeville and throughout Greenwood and, and that part of the upstate. And then the podcast drops in the afternoon after that uh, live show airs. So just to give you a little bit of a time frame, that's when we are uh, doing the recording. And uh, regardless, we're happy to have you here with us. Need to tell you, the podcast portion of this uh, show is brought to you by our friends at Tadaro Pizza. They're located on uh, North Markley Street. In downtown Greenville, the West End of Greenville, just down from Floor Field at the West End, and uh, as always, I remind you the the food is fantastic. Uh, it, it's got to be a bucket list pizza destination. If you've never been to the Upstate, uh, you need to come and check it out. And if you're here, obviously, you should already know how great the pizza and everything else is. People are even better. John uh, Todaro at that location is just phenomenal. His brother Chris runs the one in Clemson, the original one in the Upstate. It's on Sloan Street. Right now, that location only doing uh, takeout and delivery, but the Markley Street location is doing inside and outside seating when weather permits. So you can find out more at the website, todaropizza.com, T-O-D-A-R-O pizza.com, and uh, you can also find them on Facebook and Twitter. That's Todaro Pizza. They are the uh, ones who bring you our podcast on a weekly basis. I want to go ahead and get to the break now because we're going to need to steal some extra time if everything goes according to plan today. Tom Van Hoy will be here. Dave Glenn will be here. And, uh, well, I'll tell you about the rest of it when we come back from the break. But this is a Dan Scott Show. It's episode 23 of uh, the Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. And we'll be back and get rolling in just a moment. Welcome back to the Dan Scott Show slash Grumpy Old Broadcasters, episode 23. 
Good to have you with us. WZLA in Abbeville, where it airs every Monday now from 5 until 6 p.m. And, of course, podcast-wise, wherever you get your podcast from, we uh, would appreciate you uh, not only continuing to listen, but to share it and, and help us grow on uh, both ends of this thing. I am Dan Scott. Tom Van Hoy is here as always. How are you, sir? Yeah, probably help if I turn the microphone up. Try that again. How are you? Yeah, uh, t- uh, take two. Good, good. Always good to see you, Dan. <laughs> well, it's, you know, the, the equivalent of you taking a drink during our broadcast and, and not pulling your microphone back microphone. up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, sometimes it's better if they don't hear what I have to say. Yeah, well, and, and me, you know, I would like to blame the producer, but, uh, you know, I'd be pointing the finger at myself. Got a special guest with us today, a guy who has uh, been a great friend, not only personally, but of all of my broadcast endeavors, going back uh, about a decade plus now, which means that we're all getting old, I think. But Billy Davis with us for the first time in a while. His schedule has kind of eased up a little bit. Billy, how you doing? Fine, Dan. Hey, uh, Tom, good to see you, and thanks for having me on again. I appreciate your friendship and, and support, and glad to be back on the airwaves with you. Yeah, Billy, of course, uh, the former Clemson two-sports standout, played in the NFL, longtime U.S. Secret Service agent. Uh, I said I wasn't going to ask him how glad he was to be retired from that right now. We're just going to move on from there and just kind of uh, kick it around here for this uh, this first segment and uh, see where it takes us. Billy, I just want to ask you, you know, up, up front, uh, your thoughts on the way Clemson's season ended uh, for Tiger fans and for those of you like you who are really invested in the program, obviously not the way you wanted things to go down. No, no, obviously. Uh, disappointing. But uh, it seems like I've become an ambassador. People always look to me for explanations, um, not not like I'm some guru, but they know my connection to the program and my background, whether they're my friends that are Clemson alumni or just friends at the gym. What happened to Clemson? I thought they were going to win. The, you guys were going to win the whole thing. And I'm like, well, uh, when you get to the final four, anything can happen. And I th- in, in, in the year of COVID, nothing surprises me. Um, of course, disappointed. Um, but I think Ohio State had that game circled the whole year. They obviously did and prep for it. And I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised that they didn't prep for it during the, during the year. Um, and uh, they just got a little bit out schemed, and things got away from them. And that's that's college football. So, uh, but I think they had a great year overall, and to be able to win their sixth Atlantic Coast Conference Championship in a row, and uh, finish ranked third in the country, you know, Dan, you you mentioned it just a little bit ago. It wasn't that long ago. Well, it seems now, but back in uh, two thousand ten, I do believe it was. Um, or it was, it was January of 2011, which was literally 10 years ago, we were having the discussion about where Clemson football stood and what they had to do to get to the top of the mountain. And I do believe that if, if you went back in retrospect 10 years ago and asked any Clemson fan if, if they could envision the program where it is now and what they've accomplished, if you went back 10 years ago, they wouldn't believe you. So I kind of look at it like that. Is like, you know what, uh, you get to the top of the mountain and it's hard to stay there. But I, I do believe that that program right now is one of the top three programs in the country. Uh, Alabama, of course, and then Clemson and Ohio State. And then everyone else is is fighting to get on that fourth rung. So that's how I look at it. You know, Billy, it's a, it's amazing. I was around a Division II program for about 20 years and they played in five 
national championships. And if you lose, it's a huge deal. The expectations are just, you know, probably off the charts. And people that, that haven't been around it, you played, obviously, don't realize what it takes to get there. And not, not only that, but how difficult it is to maintain that level of success. Oh, Tom, absolutely. And I, I do believe there's a segment of the Clemson fan base that's absolutely spoiled. If we, we don't win the national championship now, they're, they're disappointed. And I'm like, that is not a realistic expectation for anyone or any athlete. I don't care if you're a swimmer, a basketball player, you name it. But to think that Clemson has gotten to the point now where people are beside themselves that they don't win the national championship is just – is uh, it's, it's actually if – you, if you just take a step back and, and have the ability to look down on things, which is a gift – it's amazing. I mean, to me, it is the way what they've done as a program to get to where they are. And uh, yeah, disappointing, of course, but I look at it as, wow, this is where we are. And then, you know, they'll just reload next year. And, uh, you know, they, they could very easily be ranked number one in the country to start the year again. So yeah, that's it, a great point. You know, back in the days of the old Clemson talk show prior to the, this incredible run, when, when there were, um, uh, you know, some disappointments in, in the way seasons were going and would end uh, during Tommy Bowden's tenure and the first couple of years of, of Dabo's tenure. I, I had made a comment one time, and, and I got a lot of grief for it, uh, and, and I didn't necessarily mean it literally. It was more of a big-picture look at the program. But I made the comment once, Billy, that the, the 81 National Championship, the team that you were a part of, in some ways might have been the worst thing that could have happened to Clemson football because of the expectations from 1982 moving forward for almost 30 years. The expectations for that football program were off the charts and not in a good way. And, you know, when Tommy Bowden first came in uh, for the 1999 season, the day he walked onto campus, he started harping about how behind – Clemson was in the facilities race that was really starting to take over then. And, and that's kind of where I was going. The expectations for the program for that period of time had gotten so far out of whack uh, and, and they had not done the things from an infrastructure standpoint to allow those expectations to be more realistic. That's true. Yeah. I can't argue with that a bit. I, my wife and I were laughing back in 2005 we were ecstatic that um, we got to go play in the Champ Sports Bowl and beat Colorado. We took the whole family down there, and, and we remember celebrating like they'd won the Super Bowl because they'd won the, they'd beaten Colorado. Billy, you've kind of lost your audio. Whatever you did, adjust again. Now we've we've lost you again. Hang on one second. Back in 2005, and celebrating the victory over Colorado. And that was a that was a seemed like a monumental deal back in the day, and now we're disappointed that we, you know, the fans are disappointed that we lose to Ohio State in the college football playoff semifinals. So, yeah, the the, the expectations when and I credit Tommy for a lot of the things. He doesn't get a lot of credit, but he came in under some difficult circumstances where the facilities were subpar to say the least, and. And, and then he was able to, you know, with Coach Sweeney's help, secure commitments like C.J. Spiller and James Davis and people like that that really set the program, you know, on a different trajectory. And then um, 
you know, Coach Sweeney was able to take that and build on it. And what they have now is just, like I laugh all the time, little old Clemson is where they are. I mean, if you told me that Clemson football is with Alabama, is considered to be with Alabama and Ohio State, and ahead of such programs as Oklahoma and Notre Dame and USC and Michigan, uh, that's pretty impressive. Tom? So, uh, Billy, you played, you watch a lot of it. Is is tackling a lost art this day and age? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think a lot of it's come down to the fact that uh, it's the ESPN Sports Center highlight film. Everyone yeah. gets the knockout shot. That's going back to the tackling part of it. And truth be told, when I was playing, I was a much better tackler than I was a hitter. If I got my hands on, you were going down. I wasn't, I wasn't a big knockout shot artist, but – I was able to more like a rugby player, get my arms wrapped and, and drag you down. It'd be a sure tackler. Nowadays, I mean, it seems like there's so many whiffs and there's so many, you know, and, and then now we have the targeting calls too, all that stuff, which, um, I've, you know, I've lost the ability to keep track of, of, of a lot of what's happening just because of, yeah, it is a lost start. I, I do, but that's, that's a great point. Billy Davis with us, Tom Van Hoy here, of course. I'm Dan Scott. This is the uh, Dan Scott Show slash episode 23 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. The, the, every time there's a a big targeting call, and, and James Skowski was was involved in another one in the Ohio State game, it, you know, it always comes, uh, always brings about a, a huge debate about the intent of the rule and and how the the rule is is applied and sometimes not applied and and all of these different things that that uh, we, we see in, in uh, from fans and national media when, whenever something like that happens on such a large stage. I, I thought it was very interesting <clears throat> that Skowski himself came out the next day on Twitter and said, you know, you can see a lot of, a lot of comments about this, but I have to keep my head up. I have to be better at keeping my head up. That was Skowski's own comments about this. And, and Billy, I, I have – you know, I'm a, I'm a student of history of, of sports, and uh, you know, I go back and and you know, you watch a lot of the old NFL film stuff uh, from oh. the the 50s and 60s, and, and even into the 70s. You saw yep. guys just deliver monster hits, but they always did it with the head up or got the head to the side. Very rarely did you see somebody leading with the crown of the helmet, and I can't help but wonder if the advancement in the equipment, which was supposed to be designed for safety as we've gotten into the last 25 or 30 years has in one way become something of a detriment because besides or instead of maybe being uh, a a safety measure, it's become more of a weapon. I'm talking specifically about the helmet here. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely a weapon. Make no mistake. That's a great point. We were taught we had drills when I was at Clemson. Of course, you know, you're going back 40 years ago now. Um, so it's almost ancient history. But we were taught, we had a drill called the eye opener where we would hit face to face, you know, whether you, the front of your your face mask against my face mask, and we would hit each other just like that. And it, it taught you to keep your head up while you're hitting. Um, and I don't know, with the advent of so many little leagues and peewee football and popcorn and all that, and kids kids watch the NFL and they try to emulate what's happening out there. 
maybe that's how it's evolved. But back to your point, Tom's point, I think a lot of it is people just don't know how to tackle anymore. I I do believe, like, if I'm not mistaken, the Seattle Seahawks actually brought in a a rugby coach and taught some of their defensive players how to tackle more like rugby players than actually – you know, delivering knockout shots in the NFL to make be sure tacklers. So yeah, I do believe that the way the helmets are now, they're much more space age. They're much lighter, um, you know, to protect to protect your brain and the concussion factor. But it does enable guys to become missiles, literally. Yeah, and, and then you, I'm you sorry, know. I was just going to interject before Tom goes again. You, you you do go back and, and look and, and we always put the onus on the defensive guy, but you watch some of those NFL film stuff from the from the nineteen eighties. I mean, one of the reasons Earl Campbell is, is having some of the health issues he has right now is as a running back, he used his own head as a battering mm-hmm. ram. And, and there's a very um very famous clip of, of Walter Payton doing that to somebody. And 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 even you know, today running backs will lower their head to kind of deliver a blow to a defensive back. And we don't talk about the offensive guys doing it. It's always a defensive guy because and, – and I guess rightly so to a certain extent because they get a running start and can launch themselves at, at an offensive player. But uh, running backs are guilty of it as well. Sure. And you know what? The, way, the speed of the game is just ridiculous out there. It is, things happen so fast. And, and the referees, I mean, it's, it's not their – the officials, it's not their fault – but the people, the young men out there move so fast, whether it's at a place like Clemson or in the NFL, that it's just, it's so hard to manage it. It's its its like bullets flying around out there. And then, you know, then you have the advent of, of instant super slow motion replay to dissect everything. And um, but things are happening that fast. Just a slight tilt of the head or a drop. I was watching the game yesterday, the Kansas City game. And, uh, you know, the Cleveland was driving. You probably know what I'm talking about. And they were going in for the touchdown. And Nick Sorensen, the Kansas City safety, comes over. It's definitely head-to-head. It was definitely targeting. And they didn't call it. And uh, the ball went out of bounds. I mean, he, um, Gene Steratore said it was it was targeting by the, by the you know, definition of the rule. But they didn't call it. So, Sometimes we there's too many rules. We try to legislate too much for the safety of the players. When everyone knows when you put that helmet on and you step onto that field, you know what you're getting into. So, Billy, I was actually going to ask you about that play because, and I'm a Chiefs fan. I grew up in the Midwest, mm-hmm. and and I can see by the letter of law. But what's and let's just say it's not Cleveland, Kansas City. It's just two different teams, and I yeah. don't have a, a feeling one way or the other because you know how that goes. Oh sure. What's it? What's he supposed to do? I mean, he's trying to knock the. That wasn't hit. I mean, he's from the side. He's trying to dive, and make a tackle, and he, and he made contact with the helmet. But letter of the law, probably right. But you played on that side of the football, and hey, if you try. Hey, hey, Tom, I'm totally with you. I think it was a great hit, and I looked at my wife, and I'm like, tremendous play by safety it changes the entire complexion of the game. And I looked at her. I said, I hope they don't call targeting on that kid. Because you know what do you what are you supposed to do? Because yeah. the running the, the wide receiver had his head down as well, and you're you're trying to take an angle to keep somebody out of the end zone, and you're flying literally both like guided missiles to that pylon, and you're supposed to stop in midair, change directions, and move your head. It's just it's it's virtually impossible. I'm glad they didn't call it, but by the letter of the law, 
It mm-hmm. was tar- it was leading with a crown, leading with the crown of your helmet. That's what he did. Uh, and I, I, I think it was a great play. I, I honestly wish they would get rid of the rule myself. I mean, you know, you, and I know it's for safety, and I, I, I know I sound like, you know, a grumpy old broadcaster, but you know what? <laughs> You're in the right you know, place. You get into this game, and you realize when you put that helmet on, it's not there to look cool. I mean, it's there to protect your skull, but it's also evolved into a, you know, it's just you're taught, and if it gets in the way, it gets in the way. If you don't like the game and you're afraid you're going to get hurt, don't play the game. So a player, Sorry. player launching That's himself and, and being expected to change directions in midair, is that the football equivalent of the magic bullet? Well, yeah, I was going to say that, but I, I don't like to bring the magic bullet up yeah. in the conversation because it's kind of a touchy subject. But exactly, that's what it is. You know, Nick Sorensen, he's a big kid, too. He's about, you know, my size, uh, playing safety. And he's, 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 playing, he's playing for a championship, and all of a sudden he's supposed to just stop. But, you know, I'm glad they didn't call it, but they easily could have. And what, how do you think that would have changed the entire complexion of that football game? Yeah, yeah. Given your given your former profession, I probably should have thought that through a little bit better. That's okay. That's <laughs> As we continue that's, here, that's always, a, that's always a sensitive spot with us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And no, no kidding. Uh, Dan Scott, Tom Van Hoyt, Billy Davis. Right now, Tom, uh, Dave Glenn will be with us in the uh, second half of the show. Just kind of uh, catching up with Billy and, and freelancing uh, on some uh, things from a football standpoint here uh, as we we move forward. Um, Tom, your turn. I was going to ask Billy, uh, I used to work with a guy doing games, and he was a former defensive coordinator, and every time that we were broadcasting the game and there was a fumble, he screamed fumble. And, and I asked him, I said, man, do you do that like when you're sitting at home watching the game and stuff? He goes, it drives my wife crazy. But I just wonder, how, how tough is it for you to sit there maybe with your wife and watch a game and, not, and, and react or not react to a certain situation? Well, my wife doesn't watch Clemson football games with me, if that gives you an education. It doesn't matter what the game is or who they're playing. They could be playing, you know, no offense, they could be playing Wofford or they could be playing Florida State. She will not watch the game with me. And I, it's and it's not even that I yell or anything. It's just the intensity level uh, of just me watching the game is enough to drive her to another part of the house. So, but I don't, I don't jump up or – yell or scream or anything i just i'm i'm because my former life as a player and then as a a high school and a coach at clemson in 87 i've become i've become very analytical and i watch the game and i look at down and distance and what do you think tony's going to call or what do you think brent's going to do here or you know um much more of a much more of a color analyst kind of way of looking at the football game. Well, and that's exactly where I was going to, I was going to ask you, do you think that you would be a good color analyst on radio or, or television given, given a, your knowledge of the game, but also your, your mindset and personality? Yeah, I would enjoy doing that. I, I, I did it. Um, I did the sideline when you remember when uh, Mr. Phillips passed away mm-hmm. when Jim died. And then they asked me to come and do the sideline um, reporter thing. When the Tigers came up here, and played in Maryland. I really enjoyed that. So, yeah, I think I'd be pretty good at it just because of um, my knowledge base and then be able to relate to the players and see what's going on in the field. Because if, if you've actually been out there, then you, sometimes you just see things differently than than folks that haven't played the game. It's just it's just the way – it's a different insight. Yeah. Would you be able to keep your opinions in check? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. 
Well, then I would what, agree. What kind, of, what kind of opinion you're looking for, Dan? Just <laughs> depends on who you work for, right? Have, have you have you yeah. listened have you listened to yourself for the last twenty minutes? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, well, that's true. Yeah. You know what? But I think I think you know you're a professional broadcaster, and I think a lot of times the world we live in now, nobody wants to really hear anybody's real opinion. Yeah. They're afraid of it, and and, and sometimes news. I think news, here we go. News these days is about, it's not news anymore. It's all about somebody's opinion. Mm-hmm. It's like, can I just get to the news, please? I don't need your opinion. But then sometimes as a color analyst, I do believe, or in this situation, people actually want to hear your opinion. There's a time and a place for everything. Yeah, especially um, if you've played the game. And uh, Tom works with me on, on Furman football, uh, and our sideline reporter, Marcus McMorris, was a fine player at Furman. And I think Tom will agree that uh, Marcus's best best work on the sidelines is when he gets angry, it's things he's seeing on the field. That that, that, yeah, that, like, that that's, that's when his best stuff seems to come out, Tom. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, he, and again, Billy makes a great point. And, you know, I've flipped over. I've done play-by-play. I've done color and things like that. But I never played. And, and for Billy and somebody like Marcus, they can see stuff that they're looking at that maybe makes a difference in the game that I may not see. Yes, yeah, and you, you two as professional broadcasters, I mean, I certainly would not. I marvel. This is kind of how I look at things. When I, I listen to people like you guys to do play-by-play, whether it's Tom doing football or Dan you know, doing baseball games or I listen to pick your favorite you know, broadcaster on Fox or NBC, the way they can paint a picture of the game and bring people through the game, I, I really would never be able to do that. I don't have that kind of talent. On the flip side, I do have that insight that I could add on. Mm-hmm. You know, you could paint, you could paint the picture, and I could, I could put the frame around it. Yeah, well, so, so I, when I asked that question, I had my own thoughts about how you would be in that role, but I wanted to see your own analytical uh, analysis of yourself. I think you'd be great uh, as a color commentator or a sideline reporter, and, and I think that the opinions that you would offer up would be valid ones. So. For, for what that's worth. Well, thanks. Well, if anybody's hiring, you know, I'm semi-retired. So <laughs> okay. I see if I can work it out with Franklin, see if you give me some time off. I hear you. I'd do it for free, actually. I wouldn't even charge anything. Well, well then then so, you're right in Furman's wheelhouse, pal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, the we've said it many times, Dan. If you're passionate about things, mm-hmm. if you're truly passionate about things, it'll it, the passion will show through, yeah. rather. And I think that's what people that's what people like. And we also have a saying in this business, at least at our level, where else can you have this much fun for no money? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, Billy, before we wrap it up and let you go, just uh, a little check in on how uh, Sophie's doing. Uh, your daughter, who is uh, a uh, big time SEC swimmer at the University of Kentucky, how are things going with her and, and the rest of the Davis family? Thank you so much for asking. She's doing very well. They have. Uh... <laughs> Their final meet of the season, it was an abbreviated schedule, like most colleges, against uh, the University of Louisville Cardinals. So that's the, as you know, Dan, they're in Kentucky. That's a huge oh, yeah. rivalry. So the, uh, the, the Cardinals are coming to Kentucky to swim at Lexington, and Kim and I are packing up the dogs and driving to Lex on Thursday to go to the meet on Friday. So we're looking forward to it. But she's doing well. She made a academic all SEC this year. She scored points for the team, which is kind of hard to do as a freshman. And she has a, she got a 4.0 GPA in her first, uh, first, um, 
semester in college and you know what she wants to be. She She's majoring in journalism and she's very interested in being the next Aaron Andrews or Maria Taylor. How about that? That's that's shooting for the stars, isn't it? You know what? Why not, though? <laughs> exactly. Why not? Chase your dreams. Exactly. Chase your dreams. Billy, thanks for spending some time with us this morning, pal. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Dan. You know what we've been going through. I appreciate you looking out for me. Okay, buddy? All right. We'll take a break and come back and continue with more. Dave Glenn joins us in the next segment as the Dan Scott Show and uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters continues in just a moment. Dan Scott Show continues, a.k.a. Grumpy Old Broadcasters, episode 23, live on the radio, WZLA in Abbeville, throughout Abbeville and Greenwood and uh, all of that great part of the upstate and across the the entire world via the uh, podcasting platform we have with Grumpy Old Broadcasters, Dan Scott, Tom Van Hoy. And uh, as we uh, normally do at this juncture of our get-together, we uh, welcome in Dave Glenn, the guy who started accsports.com low those many years ago and uh, now is a writer for the athletic.com at Subside Athletic Carolina. And as we uh, tee it up today, I think in just about a week, we can officially call him Professor Glenn, mm. which is just another indication, David, that we're all getting old. How are you, man? I'm doing great, Dan. Tom, good to be with you again as well. Do you think I should play the song that you so kindly play for me in all of our meetings over all these years? Should I play Turn Up the Radio by Autograph to start my first class at UNC Wilmington next week? I I think you should play it to start every class, but definitely your first one. I don't think there's any question about that. So so it's all official and locked in, and and, uh, you will officially be Professor Glenn. Yeah, the kids or the young people, I should say, are already using that uh, title without me really asking for it. I mean, I, I'm let most people call me DG. I don't know if that's allowed in a university setting, but uh, yeah, I'm still getting used to the title. Certainly, it's an unusual time to jump into any new endeavor with everybody wearing their face masks and a lot of classes online. But yeah, I'm excited about it. It's a new time in my career, and I'm, I've done a lot of things in the academic world as a guest speaker. But this is the first full-time class that I have. So uh, I'm excited about not only getting that opportunity, but at a place in Wilmington, North Carolina, where I got engaged and where I got married and where it's been a a popular vacation spot for my family. So it's a a great university with great people in a part of the state that's really meaningful to me. Yeah, and and I don't know if we've talked about it on on the show in in much detail in the last few weeks, but it's going to be a sports media type class, right? And it's going to allow you to really go deep into your Rolodex over the last 30 years and bring some pretty impressive guests to your your class, whether it be online or, or in person. Yeah. And I've tried to make it a little blend of national, regional, and local so that if you were in my class, you might watch, say, Ian Eagle and Charles Davis, one of the top NFL broadcast teams Uh, for CBS during the playoffs, Ian is going to be one guest and Charles is going to be a different guest. So you have two of the most prominent broadcasters in the most prominent sport in America. They'll be going from, you know, calling a game for tens of millions of people here in the NFL playoffs 
to zooming into my classroom. So that's pretty cool. Mick Mixon of the Carolina Panthers, the voice of the Panthers. He's going to be a guest speaker for me as I have been for his classes many times over the years uh, and a long, long list of others. So yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those scrunched semesters. So oddly enough, I only have room for a dozen or so guest speakers. Uh, so I'm, I'm being very careful with my invitations. I'm sure you probably know this, uh, but for our, our listeners, and, and Tom and I have discussed this before, but Mick Mixon had maybe the single greatest name for a college band in, in existence when, when, he was, when he was in college. Do you know what that is? I know that he's been a part of several musical outfits. Mm-hmm. I thought his most recent version had Franklin Street in the name, right? Yeah, but I'm talking about when he was in college. No, I don't know that one. I'm not. I don't think. Break wind and fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty neat that you are telling me something I didn't know about Mick yeah. Mixon because he and I go all the way back to maybe 1990. I mean, we've known each other a long time and uh, we've been in the car driving together on long road trips. You know how it is when you spend Mm -hmm. enough time with each other, you feel like you know most things, but that's a new one to me. Yeah. Next time you talk to him, bring that one up. Um, (laughs) So let's hop into uh, the uh, world of Atlantic Coast Conference basketball, David. What, what, in, in your mind at this juncture of the season, what's the state of ACC basketball? Well, one way to put it, Dan, is that it is where it is you where it usually is in one sense. It is one of the three best leagues in America. Now, I'll be the first to admit it is not like the Big Ten. It is not like the Big Twelve. Those are the two best leagues in America this season. But it is the third best. And whereas it is true to say that they don't have an obvious top ten team right now in the Atlantic Coast Conference, uh, maybe UVA is trending in that direction. Uh, it's also true to say that there might be 10 teams, 10 out of 15, that legitimately have a shot of building an NCAA tournament caliber resume. And if you get up into that 9, 10 NCAA big dance invitation range, that means you're a good basketball league. And we're just not used to seeing, I, I think, you know, these top 25 polls come out each week. And many of these weeks, there's been nobody from the ACC in the top 10. That's the weird part. After all these decades of Duke or Carolina or lately a Florida State or a UVA populating the upper portion of those rankings, this league might in the end have half a dozen top 25 teams. It's just a matter of who gets better from here to March Madness. Virginia's in the best position, but Florida State and Louisville are good basketball teams. Virginia Tech and Clemson are good basketball teams. And Duke and North Carolina, while while not yet great, certainly have the personnel and the Hall of Fame coaches to get better between now and March Madness. And that doesn't even include teams like Pitt and Syracuse uh, or an NC State. You know, all of those, I might have just mentioned 10 teams right there in total. All of those at least have a chance to become NCAA tournament teams. And in a 15-team league, if you have 10 teams that make it, obviously that's a successful season, uh, no matter how many high seeds you might have. So, Dave, Pittsburgh beats Syracuse 96-76. When's the last time that you can remember that Syracuse gave up 64 points and a half? Wow, maybe never. I'm sure it's happened. But uh, you know that zone defense, of course, causes a lot of opponents' nightmares. It is true that they've been – 
struggling with it at times because for most of this season, they've been without their rim protector, a big part of the zone defense. Mm-hmm. Jim Beheim actually recruits often offensively limited big men who just have an appreciation for shot blocking and rim protection and being that last line of defense at the back of the zone. While Barama Sidibe is their veteran big man, and he's missed most of this season, so they've been giving up a lot more points than usual. I still think Syracuse has a chance to be a quality team. Uh, Sidibe is coming back from that injury. But, uh, no, that was an eye-opener because at the same time Syracuse was doing something so unusual – Pitt got Mm -hmm. back unexpectedly early their best player from injury. So Justin Champagny, his name looks like Champagne. It's pronounced Champagny. Uh, (laughs) He hurt his knee in mid-December, and I think we were originally told six to eight weeks, which could have put him back, you know, a month from now. So next thing you know, it's mid-January, only four weeks roughly after his injury. And he's not only back, he's throwing up double-doubles again. He, he might be a first-team All-ACC caliber player. So Jeff Capel gets a huge lift midstream, and his team looks like a, a contender again. Syracuse, of course, uh, licking its wounds a bit after that defeat. But uh, I, st- I th- think Jim Beheim loves his starting five when he's healthy. Quincy Garrier is one of the most improved players in the whole conference. Uh, but that was an eye-opener, Tom. I saw some of that game, and I, I just couldn't believe how the Panthers were shredding everything and anything that the Orange threw at them. D- Dave, until they got hit with a COVID pause, Clemson had been one of the pleasant surprises of of the ACC season so far. <clears throat> and Virginia had had some missteps early on. Well, Clemson's first game back was against Virginia over this weekend, and uh, they got beat by uh, what, five touchdowns uh, in, in that game. Um, th- that was probably not a great matchup to come back off of a COVID pause against if you're Brad Brownell. No, you're right. Virginia is one of the best defensive teams in the country, as usual, under Tony Bennett. And Clemson, while outstanding defensively, especially this year under Brad Brownell, They're not yet a great scoring team. So when you're closest to an Achilles heel issue is getting buckets and you face the other best defensive team in the league, after that layoff you mentioned, there's a recipe for disaster in there, and that's exactly how it unfolded. I think the good news for the Tigers is, like Virginia, their great defense is not going to go away. There are teams in this league really struggling I mean, Notre Dame has a lot of good ball players, but the Fighting Irish can't slow people down, much less stop them defensively, and that's why they're trending toward the bottom third of the league. Defense tends to show up every night because it's more of an effort and execution thing. Offense can come and go because it's a little harder to predict, and sometimes the ball just doesn't bounce for you. Uh, but Clemson's defense is going to be its anchor. 9-2 uh, and two is still one heck of a start. This is a team that beat Florida State, beat Purdue, beat Alabama, beat Maryland, uh, beat uh, Miami in conference play, which when at full strength is a pretty solid ball club. The Tigers just need to get better offensively. Amir Sims has done it well at the forward spot. The Fordham transfer, Nick Honor, has done it well from the guard spot. They just need more help for those two to be a more well-rounded offense 
But to me, this is one of Brad Brownell's better teams. And if it gets better offensively, it's going to be really, really dangerous. So, Dave, Virginia Tech is 11-2, is 5-1. They beat Wake Forest last night. And, and, of course, we know Mike Young at Virginia Tech and Steve Forbes at Wake Forest both come from the Southern Conference. You've been around a long time. You know administrators, uh, athletic directors. Is it a difficult decision, particularly in a in a conference like the ACC, for an athletic director to go hire somebody that maybe is not a Power Five assistant or, or things like that? Those two guys that accomplished a lot, maybe at a smaller level. So I think in many cases at the bigger level, the AD may think, well, you know what, I may go with an assistant at a big time school rather than somebody that's kind of really grinded it out at a lower level. It is. It can be complicated. And keep in mind, you know, the people at Duke University in the early 1980s were not all that sure about that guy named Mike Krzyzewski, <laughs> whose name they couldn't spell or pronounce at the beginning, especially when he did not have great records those first few years for the Blue Devils. He was hired from Army, West Point. So that's a mid-major or lower-major program, um, just like dipping into the the Southern Conference ranks or the Big South ranks, et cetera, can be viewed in similar ways. I think most smart ADs worry less about winning the press conference, you know, with that glamour hire, that that bigger conference hire, that prominent big name assistant. They worry more about getting the right person. And I think, for example, when Virginia hired Tony Bennett, it's easy to forget. Mm-hmm. Tony Bennett did come from another power conference, the Pac-12. But his most recent year at Washington State was a bad year. In other words, he had had good success at a very hard place to win. If you've never been to Washington State, uh, George Raveling once described it. It's not the ends of the earth, but you might be able to see it from there uh, at Washington (laughs) State. So Tony Bennett puts up some really good records at a hard place to win in a power league. But his most recent record was mediocre. And Virginia wisely overlooked what happened last and looked at his bigger body of work. And I think it's just a parallel to what happened with somebody like Mike Young. It's not what happened last was questionable, but it's can you win at the higher level just because you've won at Wofford? And for some people, that's a leap of faith. You know, in my neighborhood, Lavelle Moten at NC Central dominates that league. But it is, if we rank leagues from one through 30, whatever, the MEAC is going to be down there around number 30. And the ACC is always, you know, one, two, or three. So can you get, do you believe what your eyes are Mm -hmm. telling you when somebody wins at a lower level? I do think the Southern Conference is a good enough league that it is viewed differently than, say, the Big South uh, or the MEAC, other leagues that are kind of in our geography. So it matters. That one through 32 chart, Those athletic directors understand that winning in the Southern Conference is different than winning at one of the bottom conferences. And especially if you do it as long and as well as Mike Young did at Wofford, uh, there's no doubt the guy can coach. Absolutely no doubt. And sometimes it comes down to, you know, whether a guy wants to stay where he's happy and his family is happy and he knows he could retire happily versus what opportunities become available. You know, Bob McKillop at Davidson is Mm -hmm. one heck of a basketball coach. He is universally respected as a basketball coach. But when, quote, unquote, bigger opportunities have been put in front of him, they were never the right fit. So, 
you know, why leave a place where you're happy? I think Mike Young had that mindset for a long time. And it was only when, you know, A, Virginia Tech of the ACC comes calling, but B, it was Virginia Tech at a time in its basketball history that was peaking. Virginia Tech basketball history is mostly miserable by, by ACC standards. But Buzz Williams might have been the best coach that school ever had. And he got some players and he got them to the NCAA tournament and he changed the image of a basketball program at a football school. So it was not only an ACC school calling, it was an ACC school with an upward trending basketball program. And I would imagine a time in Coach Young's life, and he has said this, that's a fork in the road where you say, I'm not sure how many more times these opportunities are going to come. At, at a certain age, the Power Five stops knocking on your door, right? Now, now that Bob McKillop is probably in his late 60s, he's no longer viewed as the next guy. And, and Mike Young, a little younger than that, no pun intended, um, decided that this was the right fit for him. And uh, I'll, t- I'll give him a lot of credit. I knew he would turn that program into something strong. I did not realize he'd make the Hokies, you know, arguably one of the top five teams in the league right now in year two. Uh, that is one heck of a, an impressive accomplishment. The other factor that comes into play where Mike Young is concerned in Virginia Tech is the fact that that's going home for him. That That's where he's from. Yeah. So you, you have that added on to it. We're, we're visiting with Dave Glenn, as we always do, from accsports.com and theathletic.com. You mentioned Steve Forbes a moment ago. And Tom and I had this discussion driving back from Furman's game at the Citadel uh, last week that we, we, we know Steve Forbes is a good basketball coach. We, we know about his past and, and all of those issues and the way he's kind of rebuilt his career and, and the incredible run that he had at East Tennessee State University. But I think it's a legitimate question. You tell me what you think. It's one thing to be able to win at East Tennessee State University where you can bring in transfers from all over the place, the entry uh, entrance exam, the entry requirements to East Tennessee State are, are not what they are at a private school like Wake Forest. He's not going to be able to, at least you wouldn't think, operate in the same way. The question is, can Steve Forbes recruit enough high-level players to get the Wake Forest basketball program back to where Deacon fans believe that it should be because he ain't going to be able to use the formula he did at ETSU. You're absolutely right. And Wake Forest fans raised all these issues. They were half excited that they got a guy with such an impressive track record as a head coach, but they were half concerned because you're not just jamming junior college players through the admissions department at Wake Forest. You're not getting guys with checkered pasts. Uh, through the the vetting process, we'll call it, at Wake Forest. Uh, so it is a fair question. I don't think there's any doubt about that. A lot of people were even surprised, Dan, given that Wake Forest is one of the few universities with as close to a pristine track record for avoiding major NCAA violations as we have in, in the ACC. And Steve Forbes, of course, his background includes some problems along those lines. So they were breaking a lot of the rules by hiring him at Wake Forest. Um, What they're focusing on now is that, for example, you might have seen a young guard named Carter Witt uh, for the Deacons over these last few weeks. He's actually a four-star player that Steve Forbes not only signed out of high school, but got him to graduate and finish high school early so that, you know, at mid-year, high school, most high school students graduate in the spring. Carter Witt graduated from his high school in December 
and joined the Demon Deacons immediately. And he's actually playing a decent amount of minutes for them right now. Steve Forbes already also has some other commitments. Uh, actually, a guy named Robert McRae, the last I looked, who's from South Carolina, another guard, a four-star player who's committed to the Demon Deacons. So these guys are the more traditional high school recruiting route, not junior college, not, not examples of uh, question marks. So there's two examples where, you know, Wake fans believe that those are small examples that Steve Forbes can do what they need him to do uh, because everybody agrees if he has good enough players, he's going to be a good enough coach to win. But Wake's got to find its next Chris Paul type player, its next Rodney Rogers, its next Tim Duncan. Uh, signing good players in this league gives you a chance. But as you know, at some point, you better be, you know, getting the occasional prep All-American or two if you want to challenge usually for ACC titles or Final Fours or national championships. Tom, final thought for you. you. Know, I was going to say, Dave, you mentioned Washington State. I actually broadcast a game out there one time. Wow. And uh, we went to the uh, arena the night before to – um, to work out, and uh, it was padlocked, and you couldn't get in, and so we were trying. Oh no, actually, we got in. We got in, and then the uh, the basketballs were padlocked, and you couldn't shoot around. So they were trying to figure out how to do it, and they saw a maintenance guy, and he came over, and he said, uh, "We said you got a key to it." He goes, "Yeah, I got the key," and he <laughs> goes and get some bolt cutters. Oh, you know? and he, so that's how we play. But they, I mean, it's in the middle of nowhere. So long ago that Kelvin Sampson was the head coach at Washington State. That night I get a knock on the door and the head coach for the team I was broadcasting for said, let's go. I said, where are we going? He says, I'm going to Moscow. I go, Moscow? And I didn't realize that Moscow, Idaho, <laughs> seven miles away. So you're right. It's, it, it's in the middle of nowhere. So, you know, it, sometimes you got to do what you got to do and you end up in strange places. But, yeah, the, the hire by Tony Bennett I thought was a great one, too. That's a great story. That's one of those you put in your memoirs at some point. <laughs> oh, it's hard to forget those. Well, you can tell those stories to your class. Or if you want to uh, have Dan and I come, we'll build a fort for you like we did at Abbeville to broadcast a game, you yeah. know. <laughs> well, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to have some speakers in person. So that's probably what. That might be a four-hour drive for you guys. That's too much. Uh, we can do we'll it. you overtime. Yeah, or something like that. Dave, tell everybody how they can follow what you do. Yeah, on Twitter, we're at David Glenn Show. And you mentioned the website we created all the way back in 1994. ACC Sports is still going strong, accsports.com. Uh, it is on Twitter, at ACC Sports. And then The Athletic has now passed 1 million worldwide subscribers, so we hope folks will check out the main site at theathletic.com. And the sub-site that covers both Carolinas, it's called The Athletic Carolina, and there are often all sorts of great deals uh, for that subscription website. As always, great stuff. Uh, we look forward to uh, doing it again next week and, and seeing where the Atlantic Coast Conference and the NCAA uh, is uh, one week from today. David, we'll talk to you soon. Always fun, guys. Good to be with you. Take care. All right, that's yeah. Dave, Dave Glenn. Stay tuned. We'll be back to put a wrap on things in just a moment. Back to put a wrap on things as uh, another edition of the show slash podcast comes to an end. Thanks to uh, Dave Glenn, as always, and uh, good to see and, and talk to see from a Zoom standpoint 
uh, talked to uh, Billy Davis again for the first time in a while since uh, uh, it's been a while since we've had a chance to catch up with him. So nice to get his perspective on things, and and it just sets us up for um, you know, for next week. Uh, next week we will have the Super Bowl matchup ready at this time. We didn't really touch on the NFL in our uh, conversation today, but the conference championship games are set, so we'll be able to talk about the Super Bowl matchup next week and and uh, still continuing to hammer on college sports as well. Um, just a, a reminder that uh, today, if you're listening on WZLA in Abbeville, and, and regardless of when you're listening on the podcast, we recorded this on Monday, January the 18th. It's uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and... Um, this this country is is as divided as it has ever been in, in in the 53 almost 54 years that I have been alive on this earth and uh, regardless of your your political persuasion regardless of your your um, uh, your view on politics regardless of a lot of things take a little bit of time today and uh, remember the guy that we're honoring, remember what he stood for, remember how he went about what he stood for, and um, let's, let's see if we can't do something to try to bring this country a little closer together. And again, I'm not diving into politics. We go down that rabbit trail. That's going to be a whole different podcast. It's going to take a whole lot more time. What I am going to say is there's a greater power at work here, and that we need to plug in to that greater power. I'm going to challenge you to do something that maybe somebody hasn't challenged you to do in a long, long time, and, and probably never on a sports talk show. But I'm going to challenge you to get into your Bible this week and read God's Word and see if He doesn't speak to you in many, many different ways. Listen, with that, you have yourself a great day, a great week. We'll be back again next time with another show, another podcast. This has been episode 22, 23, excuse me, of the uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters podcast. And, of course, here in Abbeville, the Dan Scott Show. We'll talk to you again next week. For Tom and Dave and Billy, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you. and So long, everybody.